Hello and welcome to a special sort of emergency episode of Politics Unboxed. I'm joined by Head of News at Expression FM and regular contributor to the Election Watch series, Vicky. And of course, the only thing that we can be talking about today is the fact that we have a new Chancellor of the Exchequer in the United Kingdom and we don't have a new Prime Minister. So, let's run you through what has happened in the last... I'm going to extend it to like the last 38, 40 hours at time of recording, because 40 hours ago, Kwasi Kwarteng was saying that in a month Liz Truss and himself would absolutely still be in post. And number 10 was briefing that the Chancellor and the Prime Minister were in lockstep, that there was no... Um, mood to change the uh, the positions in Downing Street. Well, just over 12 hours after that, after Kwasi Kwarteng's flight from New York to London had landed and he'd been ushered in to Downing Street, um, he was out. And we were looking for a new occupant of number 11 Downing Street and the Treasury. That new occupant is Jeremy Hunt, the former health secretary, the former foreign secretary, former leadership contender in the party. It seems clear that he now looks like he's going to reverse pretty much everything that Kwasi Kwarteng put forward in the mini-budget. The only thing that looks like it is safe is the energy price guarantee. And if that had gone, then there would really be nothing left from Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget announcement. The question now becomes, is this change going to happen before or after Halloween? Is it really going to be a tax-or-treat budget, as we have seen? Or is it going to be a trick-or-tax budget? Because it doesn't look like there are any easy options for the new Chancellor. Or should we call them the new Prime Minister? Because after media rounds today and yesterday, as we record this uh, on Saturday morning, it looks like Jeremy Hunt is owning the situation far more than Liz Truss. Vicky, I want to bring you in here. What do you think about the last sort of 36, 40 hours or so. Did you see it coming? Did um, What do you think about Jeremy Hunt's big decisions that he seems to be making now? I mean, it was becoming increasingly clear that it was kind of her only option. She had to get rid of the Chancellor. It was her last firewall, the last thing it could she do to protect her, the last thing to, like please backbenchers who just wanted some significant change just so they'd be taken seriously. I think what's been most remarkable is just how badly it's been handled. Like Jeremy Hunt was talking about it. He wasn't, he didn't actually know he was becoming Chancellor yesterday until quite soon before he became Chancellor, which suggests to me that they fired the Chancellor about having a replacement in mind, which is a bit of an odd situation to be in. And then the press conference was awful it was it was meant to be steadying the ship taking four questions and speaking for eight minutes on not jeremy hunt's new plans for the economy 
was not a great move. Um, but I think I agree with you. Jeremy Hunt's new position is, I think, what I'd expect him to do. It's kind of what his brand of conservatism is. Like, he's much more, like, it's le- it's kind of less drastic, much more one-nation Tory, Cameron era policy, which was the government he's most associated with. And I think they have picked him because of his steady influence. He's got lots of experience. He's seen as more moderate and more trusted than the kind of like the new, like firebrand conservatives who don't know who are kind of all out there on the edges of the party. I just don't know if it's going to affect what people think of Liz Truss because Liz Truss's image will always be associated with what she wanted to do originally because that's who she is. If Jeremy Hunt does bring a moderated influence because people are thinking he's a moderation, it isn't going to make them support Liz Truss. I mean, the the interesting thing to look at here, from my point of view, is just how much of that mini-budget is now no longer going to be a thing. Um... It looks like, uh, and this is from a round of BBC interviews, that Jeremy Hunt has admitted mistakes were made with the mini-budget on the 23rd of September, including abolishing the top rate of income tax, which the government has now reversed, Uh, the pause, or rather the reversal of the planned corporation tax cut, which has also now being reversed um it's it's actually going to go back up to 25 percent as originally planned it was a mistake to fly blind and publish the mini budget without the office of budget responsibility having the independent reassurance and now after being given what he calls a clean slate to rework the economic positions of this government he says that some taxes will now go up and that spending will not rise by as much as people would like. So my question now is, how can he deny that this may well represent another era of austerity if taxes are going up and spending is not following? And also, how can he stand by the Prime Minister's plans for the economy, given that the mini-budget was the Prime Minister's plan for the economy? It wasn't as if Kwasi Kwarteng was going rogue and just throwing policies in just because he liked the look of them. These were Liz Truss's policies. These were the things that um, the Prime Minister and the now former Chancellor sat together in Downing Street planning. Even if they weren't then shown to the rest of the cabinet as Liz Truss admitted but it wasn't as if the prime minister wasn't told what was going to be in the budget because these two we know that Kwarteng and Truss were massive allies it seems like Liz Truss is shooting herself in the foot to save the rest of her leg but she shot herself in the wrong foot and she'd already lost the other one. So what is going on in Downing Street now? What can possibly be going through the mind of, of Liz Truss that means she has to sit here and, and now defend another 180 
after moving so far away from Boris Johnson's policies, the government of which she was a part of. She's now moving back past them so far that it's almost Cameronite. What's going on, Vicky? Make some sense of it all for our listeners. Well, I think Hunt can say he supports Liz Trust policies in the same way a professor would say that's a good idea in a seminar before talking about something completely different. I mean, in, in, in essence, the thing he supports about her policies is he wants growth, which is what every politician and chancellor and prime minister has wanted ever. It's just how achievable is that is the question. How can you not call it austerity? Well, I imagine that his main plan for that is going to be going on the radio and saying it's not austerity, and that's kind of his plan to stop that. And he'll probably say that it's temporary and it's just to get over the over the hurdles at the moment and to calm the market. And you know, COVID was a real problem for the finances, so we've got to sort that. So I imagine those will be the kind of lines we start hearing in the next few days. Where do we go from here? I mean. Liz, I don't know what Liz Truss is now as Prime Minister. Her, her entire agenda is being set by her Chancellor. She can't pass anything in kind of other areas such as health or something because the backbenchers are going to want to take risks for her and they're kind of an open revolt. I mean, you've got Tory MPs openly talking about getting rid of her now, which is a progression even from last week where things were bad. I mean, I think Jeremy Hunt's in control now. I mean, he's kind of got what he wanted. He sort of won the leadership election by default, by being knocked out in the first round. Um, I, I think the real difficulty now is, is not going to be pushing through these new ideas, because I think this is clearly more popular than the previous set of ideas, because no one has come out in open revolt against Jeremy Hunt's economic plans yet. Although... He did only announce them, what, um, about an hour, hour and a half ago on a round of BBC interviews. So, actually, no, it could be about three hours or so ago. So, to be fair, that's quite a good time delay for no one having absolutely wholeheartedly thrown their full support against these policies. So, I think we can probably say that Jeremy Hunt's new policies are now a bit more popular than whatever Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng were putting through. But what I feel is a big issue is how Jeremy Hunt is going to be justifying some of these. He, he may well call them market-calming measures. He may well call it um, rebalancing the budgets after COVID. Now, I think what you're saying is right. He's going to go on the airwaves and say this is not austerity. But um, if it looks like austerity, if it smells like austerity, if it sounds like austerity, it might well be austerity. Um, <laughs> so if it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. But Jeremy Hunt can't really make a convincing point around having to raise taxes to prop up a failing health service because he was the secretary of state for health for six years from 2012 to 2018 and i think that whilst someone 
with a couple of steps removed from that. Even somebody who was very much in the cabinet at that time, maybe even a Michael Gove-like figure. Now, I'm not saying Michael Gove should have been appointed Chancellor. I'm not saying it makes even political sense for Liz Truss to do it, um, or to have done it, because, of course, Jeremy Hunt is now the occupant of number 11. But for, for Jeremy Hunt to come out, if he is to say taxes need to rise in order to pay for our public services, somebody's going to ask, which public services do you mean? And one of the answers is going to be, and in my mind has to be, the National Health Service. Now, given the national insurance rise of 1.25 percentage points, looks like it's still going to be reversed, even after this little tweak of the mini-budget, which looks like it's a complete shredding and rewriting of the mini-budget. Um, Jeremy Hunt's credibility around raising taxes to fund the health service is weak because why is the health service underfunded well you could say it's because of covid pressures but why wasn't the health service able to respond to covid pressures well because of years of chronic underfunding and a lack of pandemic management who was the member uh, who was the the cabinet member who was in charge of the national health service when the last pandemic assessment happened it was jeremy hunt and it was in 2016. Um, there are a lot of quite easy attack lines against Jeremy Hunt. Um, I don't know whether he's the steadying force people think he's going to be. I certainly don't think he is more unsteadying than Quasi Kwarteng and the, the recent mini-budget. I wonder, do you, do you think there's going to be a real danger of, of a different type of pushback now against Jeremy Hunt from sort of the true believers, the people like Suella Braverman, who has stood by the tax cuts all along. Um, maybe these these new, not quite Johnsonite zealots, but the people like maybe Kemi Badenoch and others on the, the right of the party who are real believers in what is being labelled trussonomics, but could really be called sort of a, um, a reworked Thatcherite economic mould. And of course, the opposition are still going to oppose whichever policies are put forward because they're now in full general election campaigning mode. I mean, I think there's going to be definitely a split in the cabinet, but that's been true of basically the cabinet since Liz Truss put it together. I don't think that's, a, that's not a new thing. The cabinet were an open revolt last week. They're probably still an open revolt, but at least now she's got a chancellor at the party and war behind, even if the cabinet aren't. I think you may overestimate the public's long-term memory in terms of Jeremy Hunt. I think lots of people, especially junior doctors, when they see him, are going to think about the NHS problems. But I think the majority of people, he's been out of the public eye for a bit now, are going to think, oh, I recognize, maybe I recognise that name. Oh, he used to be a minister, so maybe he's got some experience, or he doesn't seem to be as out there as Trussell Quartang, or at least he doesn't sound like he's completely falling apart on the radio. Oh, maybe we'll give him a go. I don't think people are going to start thinking about junior doctor strikes in the NHS under him. I just think it was so long ago. I mean, in years, it wasn't that long ago, but it's been a political lifetime ago. I think people will think, even if they do remember it, will go, 
well that wasn't great but I've lived through four years of chaos and I just quite like someone who isn't chaos and that's not Jeremy Hunt isn't chaos so I think that's where the public will land I mean this is very much the um Trump Biden transition from big bold unpopular unconventional to safe pair of hands who doesn't necessarily inspire confidence and has a checkered past obviously they're not different parties but the the metaphor still stands almost it's kind of exactly what jeremy hunt was looking for when he went to run again for leader after boris johnson he was hoping to be the biden influence the the sort of steadying hand upon the tiller now he's got what he wanted he seems to have more power over the economic policies than liz truss because as many newspapers and um and sort of online outlets are reporting trussonomics is dead in the water the entire economic plan put forward by the prime minister is pretty much ripped up to start again now there there is no real lingering remnant of the 45 billion pounds worth of tax cuts followed by massively unfunded spending commitments which i think we can agree is the vague gist of trussonomics jeremy hunt is a very different politician to quasi kwarteng even though they come from constituencies i think about two across from each other um southwest surrey and spellthorn so i mean if the uh if the anti-growth coalition now includes sort of mid-surrey elites as opposed to the north london labor party elites that liz truss called out in her speech does that mean that the anti-growth coalition will include not just the former chancellor but the current chancellor if their economic plans are so different from what liz truss was saying would bring about growth i wonder how long is it until we see jeremy hunt added to the anti-growth coalition by the fervent believers in liz truss's original economic plan i mean in a way, aren't we all part of the anti-growth coalition? Liz Truss herself is kind of, and yeah, I mean, it's just such a stupid phrase because it's basically anyone that opposes me is anti-growth, but I'm then going to backtrack on my own policies and oppose them. I mean, I think it will come back to bite her because I think it's just going to be something that people make fun of her for for the rest of life. And like, you should never give like your enemies or political enemies like a message to like group around and like make their own because it's just going to work for them. I mean, I, I've did, people on the radio are selling anti-growth coalition t-shirts now. Like it's just given people like a moniker to hide, to like group around and something to attack this trust over. I mean, I think there will very much be um, an anti-Tory coalition at the next election. Uh, I can see this coming off the ground more and more, even if the Labour Party might not want to be a part of it anymore, given that they can seemingly walk through the doors of Downing Street with no one else's help. Something that if you told me almost exactly three years ago, because we're doing this on the 15th of October, the 12th of December, 
it was nearly three years ago in 2019. Um, and that was Labour's worst electoral result since 1935. It, it wiped out even 1983 and the longest suicide note in history as uh, it was monikered by, I think, Gerald Kaufman as Michael Foote drove the Labour Party into the political wilderness and sort of turned off the engine in the middle of the woods. Um, Jeremy Corbyn seemed like, or his leadership in that election, seemed like it had tanked the Labour Party's electoral prospects for possibly another decade. And now, just three years after that, we are openly talking about, is it going to be a 1997-style wipeout of the Conservative Party? I mean, there was a poll that went forward and said, um, I can't remember which figures it was, but there was genuinely a poll that came out and said that if the election was tomorrow, there would be five Conservative members of Parliament. Not, not, just, not just five in Scotland or five in Wales, five. How the Conservative Party have managed to go from the biggest majority since Thatcher that they have ever held to can we survive as a coherent party at the next election astounds me. And I know that there are a myriad of reasons which we genuinely don't have the time or possibly the willpower to get into at the moment as to why this has happened. We can go back all the way through to um, Boris Johnson, COVID, Brexit, all of the above. Um, but this turnaround has got to be one of the most unpredictable and most unforeseen events, certainly for its swiftness. And I know that sometimes parties in government for a long time, the voters get tired of them. But usually, that is quite a long process. And especially if they change leader. The voters were getting tired of Margaret Thatcher. But John Major came in and Neil Kinnock couldn't win the 1992 election. It took a catastrophic economic incident in Black Wednesday and the managed decline of conservative popular opinion for John Major to be booted out. And also the phenomenal growth of the Labour Party under John Smith and Tony Blair. But it took the rebuilding and foundations to be laid by Neil Kinnock before any of that could happen. This has just gone from the Conservatives could be in power for another 10 years, back when it was sort of 2019, 2020, and we were thinking, crikey, even into uh, the, the local elections in 2021, I remember writing an article saying progressives fail across the board, what does Keir Starmer have to do to make himself popular? Um, and now... Keir Starmer doesn't have to do anything. He just has to stand next to Liz Truss on a debate stage and say, I'm not Liz Truss. And he will probably win a majority if he's going up against Liz Truss. The Conservative Party have, what, 18 months to prove that they can run the country. Is that long enough? Is that, is that arguably too long for many people's popular opinions who 
it would seem that the public want a general election rather than uh, the Conservatives to continue running the government. What do you think, Vicky? Do the Conservatives have a hope in hell? I think it's long enough for opinion polls to even up a bit. I, I mean, it's been really weird seeing all these opinion polls saying, like, yeah, there'll be five Tories left. I think that's the Labour needs to use some expectation managing on that front. It's not going to be that. Opinion polls, like, massively divert as people think about things at the exact moment. As time goes on, as people look, as like Quartang disappears into the background, do opinion polls start to narrow a bit more? I think it's likely. I would still agree with you that it's probably going to be a Labour majority. Like people seem to have like dug into their opinions about her. But I think like maybe it's going to be, it's, it, it might not be, Labour can't just sit here and go, well, we've won the next election, let's just go for it now. I think that is possibly going to be the most important part of the Labour strategy from now until 2024 or whenever the election is going to be, because there's a chance that the Tories go to the country early, but it's vanishingly small given how vanishingly small projected seat totals are at the moment for their party. Um, the Labour Party have to get it into people's heads that whilst at the moment the polls are looking phenomenal for them, those polls will not become reality unless all the people who are now sitting here thinking, wonderful, we're looking at a, the biggest Labour majority since 2001 or something like that. Um, I don't think it'll be 1997. Um, if they don't turn out and vote, it won't happen. It's like um, what is thought to have happened with Al Gore's presidential election that never was in 2000, because obviously America closes its uh, polls at different times for different time zones. Everyone saw that Al Gore was just picking up projected wins along the eastern seaboard and was projected to win Florida as well. Funny how that turned out, that they didn't turn up as it went further west. They didn't. They just didn't vote because, oh, he's won by a landslide. Easy. He's got Florida. He's got New York. He's got Pennsylvania. I'll stay home. I was going to go out and vote in, I don't know, Arizona or Nevada, but I'll, I'll go home now. This is how it's going to have to be with the Labour Party, or, or rather, this is how they're going to have to avoid that. Because whilst voters in the, the blue wall will be energised to go out and vote if they want to see their Tories removed because they're looking at a much larger majority to overturn. In a Labour Tory marginal, I think there could be a lot of apathy and assumption that the party will win. So I don't need to cast my vote because how much did my vote really count towards the victory margin anyway? The problem is, if enough people do that, there won't be a victory margin. There, there will just be the people turning out to save the Conservative Party who will really be turning out if they want to vote Conservative because they know that they will be in a much smaller group than they were in 2019. So they will be incredibly energised. They might not have the same level of posters. 
you might not see the same number of conservative ministers going around to different constituencies knocking on doors but the the silent conservative vote is going to turn out at the next general election it is just a matter of how big that is because you can never poll the silent conservative vote because let me think about this they're silent they don't tell you which way they're going to vote so we will never know how many of them the conservative party have lost and we will never know how many are still around so it's going to be very very interesting to see what is going on um jeremy hunt is sort of now bringing more of the left wing essentially of the party back into the conservative party it seems like a Tobias Elwood is now off the naughty step. He may well have the whip restored. Wow, wouldn't that... Um, I think he annoy... has had the whip restored. There we go. Um, I don't know whether that will be popular amongst Boris Johnson supporters. Of I which would have thought he few. would get it back immediately, and then he didn't. But I, I'm, I'm not sure those who think he... Um, he deserved to have the whip removed, which I'm not going to lie, may well include a large proportion of Liz Truss's sort of diehard supporters who lent them, who lent Liz Truss the support from um, Boris Johnson's team, may well not like having Tobias Elwood back officially in the party. But I don't think Liz Truss can afford to not have him in the party. I wonder... Obviously, Liz Truss will be very, very keen to avoid a full-on cabinet reshuffle. But if open revolt breaks out from her front bench as well as her back bench over what comes next, do you reckon she might be forced into one? Potentially. I mean, it's something she really wants to avoid because the, the frequency of different cabinets is one of her main problems. I think she's now got two ex-prime ministers and three ex-chancellors on her back benches which is quite a difficult position for a prime minister to be in, as well as the fact you've got many long-serving sitting cabinet members on your backbenchers who know how to organise, who have power within the party, who can get things done. Lots of ex-chief whips still around. <laughs> like, that is not a governable place because all those people know they can cause trouble. They have the contacts and resources to cause trouble and they know they're kind of too big to kick out the party. So... Does the cabinet reshuffle make that worse? Yes. But is that a problem that she's going to have whatever she ha does? Yes. I don't know if any leader would actually be able to govern the Conservative Party at the moment because there's there's like a split wing and you've got three versions of a cabinet just still hanging around causing trouble. I, I tell you who I think Liz Truss may well be very nervous of. And that is... Gavin Williamson, who was, uh, I believe, chief whip under Cameron, ran Theresa May's campaign, defence secretary under then Theresa May before leaving that one to help orchestrate Boris Johnson's campaign, and then becoming education secretary under Boris Johnson. Um, he seems to be 
almost a prerequisite to keeping a conservative prime minister around and when they go when gavin williamson leaves the cabinet it seems the prime minister leaves the cabinet not soon not too soon after um <laughs> gavin williamson is not in liz truss's cabinet it does not look like he will be in liz truss's cabinet unless there is sort of ikea levels of reorganization going on i wonder is he gonna be a really big threat now that the big beasts are seemingly sitting in the naughty corner boris johnson i can imagine he will do some sniping from the back benches as his economic policy or his political priorities get repeatedly dragged through the mud and then body slammed into the floor before being given CPR and then body slammed again. Um, Michael Gove, alongside Liz Truss, another member of every single Conservative government up until Liz Truss's government. Um, who else are we are we looking at? Theresa May. I mean, she's not quite in that black ballroom dress yet, but I would say it's getting close on current form is she being lined up as a caretaker prime minister who knows anymore vicky i want to ask you directly a question because you asked me this yesterday and you didn't give an answer yourself now vicky was hosting news hour on expression fm which i do recommend you go and check out i believe it's up on the mix cloud already um if not it'll be there quite soon i'm imagining um and the panel of which I was a member were asked, how long does Liz Truss have left? Um, I can't quite remember what I said. I think I said um, that the Halloween fiscal event is going to kill off her premiership and that we'd be looking at a, a mince pie administration before Christmas. Uh, I think I may have said early November. Now, maybe that's too soon. But Vicky, you didn't give an answer. So I'm going to press you for one now. And I'm amazed that I didn't press you for one yesterday as well. How long does Liz Truss have? Or are we being incredibly mean and she's going to reorganize? It's not reorganizing the, the deck chairs on the Titanic. This is getting a lifeboat and going to the Carpathia. What do you think? I think she's probably bought herself at least to the end of the month because people are going to want to see what's in the new fiscal budget and they're going to want to see what Jeremy Hunt can do in that position. After that, I think things are more uncertain because either the budget doesn't make a difference to the markets, things continue to go badly and people go, well, there's literally no other option. We have to get rid of her. Or people go well that's worked but that's because we've completely trashed her policies what does she stand for now and she's all she's doing is just being incredibly unpopular and not putting any policy proposals forward so maybe we get rid of her I, I don't think it'll be before Christmas I think it's in order to get rid of her they need a replacement in line and I think it's going to take a while for them to work out who the replacement is because like you said there's several options sitting there on the back benches and who particularly wants to take on this role at this time and take the risk or if there's multiple people 
who wins out of those is a difficult question. Like, I just don't see Rishi and Mordant working together very well. I mean, maybe I'll be proved wrong, but it'd be an interesting combination. And I think it would take a lot of negotiation to get it through, because if they're going to go for it, they need to make sure it's clean and quick and not messy, which means you have to get pretty much the full party support without letting Liz Trust know what's happening, which is going to be difficult. So I think probably early next year, if we're doing change of leader, potentially we get forced into a general election before that as Conservative MPs just give up and Labour become, and the, the public and Labour just become too strong for them to deny anymore. But who knows? Well, there we go. Finally, an answer on, on that on that question. But um, no, I, I think you are right. There's going to be quite a lot of backroom dealing going on. And with that in mind, Monday is a very important day because the chair of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady, is coming back from his holiday in Athens to mark the next act in a Greek tragedy of epic proportions for Liz Truss. Um, it looks like people are, are currently briefing that he may have to do something when he comes back. Whether that just means um, get a new P.O. box because it's already stuffed with no confidence letters, or whether that means go and talk to Liz Truss already to hand her the glass of whiskey and the revolver, uh, is, is completely up to various people's political imaginations. Um, Although at the moment, I would say that Liz Truss would do exactly what Boris Johnson did when confronted with the glass of whiskey and revolver, which is down the whiskey and then try and shoot Graham Brady in the head, metaphorically and politically, not figuratively or li not literally. Um, I, I wonder, I don't think that they've reached 15% no confidence letters. And anyway, if they had, the 22 committee's rules say that a new prime minister does have um, a grace period of 12 months, although it would be very much like the 1922 committee to um, rip up their own rule book and start again, because they know that the very existence of the 1922 committee is predicated on having a Conservative Party to have a 1922 committee of. And if they look like they're all about to get wiped out, then I think there becomes a pretty compelling argument to circumvent one or two of the rules in order to make sure that that doesn't happen from a party perspective. Right. I think we've waffled about the uh, the Chancellor and the economic policy complete U-turn for, for long enough. So I'm going to call an end to this emergency session of Politics Unboxed. Thank you very much to Vicky for coming on. Um, thank you to you as well for listening at home. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any thoughts, comments, opinions, please go to politics.unboxed on Instagram, politics unboxed on Facebook, at politicsu on Twitter, that's the letter U, or email politics.unboxed at outlook.com. And if you want to keep an eye on all of the different articles and new bits of media that we are going to be putting out, then go to www.politicsunboxedpodcast.wordpress.com. Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully we'll see you for the next episode of the Politics Unbox podcast, or maybe it'll be election watch again. You never know. But until then, goodbye. Mm -hmm.